This is episode two with board certified behavior analysis, husband and father of three, Ty Krieger. Communicating to you, we always, one of our other main things we like to preach is behavior is communication. When they're communicating to you, maybe not through their words, through their, through their behavior, you need to ask yourself, what are they trying to tell me? Because I'm the one who's the adult here. You know, I'm 30 plus years old or 40 plus years old. I should be the one who can, can regulate, take a pause and say, hey, this isn't going well. So what's going on? I can have that critical thought more so than that child. Hey, mom, are you tired of being tired or maybe yelling at your kids? Or maybe you need to know how to get your strength back postpartum or learn to manage your stress trying to do it all or just to become a more confident mom. If so, then welcome to Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired. I'm Christiane Bégin, a mother of two, sharing inspiring conversations with wonderful people on how we can be mentally and physically stronger moms, and also including freshly squeezed ideas, a little bit of fun, so you can learn how to find balance, and also how to raise strong, caring, confident kids in today's world. So if you're ready, let's get started. Okay, moms, you're in for a treat today. We talk about so many good things and especially on parenting and children behavior. The first half of the episode, we talk about how Ty is also promoting physical activity and movement and why he owns a CrossFit gym. And he actually says it was for his family. So we talk about that for a bit. And he tells us how we should all have internal audit. So what's that about? We talk about his own family dynamic, how his own parents model the values he has today and how he's transferring those values to his kids. He opened up about growing up with the disabled sister and how it was. And what led him to find the work he was meant to do in human behavior and working especially with children with challenging and difficult behaviors. So the second part of the interview, we dive deep into the specific and how you can apply some of these tools to your own parenting mom life. So we talk about rewards, expectations, perception, and what those bribes, and you know you're, you've done it, I've done it before, but what those bribes are doing to your children's behavior. We talk about the the three R's and how those are affecting positive changes in your kid. He gets really specific. So Ty talks about his own children. He uses specific examples, not only that applies to toddlers with those famous toddler tantrums, but also to school age kids. We talk about timeouts. We talk about what's really going on when the child is having a tantrum and your impact as parents to set your child up for success emotionally. I had a lot of aha moments during this episode, so I can't wait for you guys to listen in. I really, truly hope that this will also help some of you and your kids' behaviors. Listen in well, because Ty tells us 
how you can get a free call. Yes, that's right. Your own private one-on-one coaching session, mini coaching session with Ty and his wife, Hillary, about your specific challenges with your kids or as a parent, because we all know we all have unique, different children. So if you need more help, you can reach out to them personally. So get a pen and paper because this episode, he gets really specific. He talks about what to say, what not to say, what to do when a difficult behavior happens and how to deal with it. So without further ado, let's listen in to our conversation. Welcome. Welcome to Citrus Love. Today, I'm so excited. I cannot wait to get this conversation going. I have with me Ty Krieger, who is a USA weightlifting certified sports performance coach. He's a coach and owner at Packerland CrossFit in Green Bay, Wisconsin. He's a board certified behavior analysis, a former clinical director and lead therapist for Centerpiece Autism Services, husband to Hillary and a father of three, two daughters and a young son. And his recent endeavor is starting with his wife, BCC, which is Behavior Change Collective, which helps you as parents to become the best parents you can be through positive reinforcement. And we'll talk about that a lot more today. So welcome, Ty, to Citrus Love Podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for much. Thanks so much for having me. It's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. I'm really really stoked to be here and to uh, and talk about strength, right? Yes. So initially, when I wanted to get you on the podcast, it was mainly for BCC Behavior Change Collective. But then doing the research on you, I quickly realized there's a lot of things quite inspiring about your childhood, what keeps you motivated, what gave you all the strength and your positive mindset towards life and being caring and wanting to help others. But first, I want to talk about CrossFit. You're a gym owner. And with all the sports and exercises to choose from today, why did you choose CrossFit? I think that's a good question. So um, it comes back, it, the journey has been about seven years now um, that I've been involved in CrossFit. Uh, and I played college football. Um, and after football, I, w- I really didn't have something that gave me that same sense of community, that same sense of achievement uh, and variety. I'm, I'm definitely someone who seeks variety um, in my exercise routines. And so when I came across CrossFit, one of my best friends was doing it at the time in St. Paul, Minnesota with Timberwolf CrossFit. Um, and kind of just checked all those boxes. It's, it's something that you go into every day and it's different. And no matter what the workout of the day is, you're going to be challenged in some way, shape or form. You're constantly learning new exercises. You're learning, um, you know, how to move your body in different and better ways. And so and so that's what really drew me um, to the exercise, um, you know, the, the, the theory behind it. And and I think the, the piece that now has kept me there for the past seven years and now has led us to, to open our gym um, a year ago was, you know, the, the whole the whole factor of the whole focus of the whole person and the whole health, um, whether it's, you know, not only physical, but also mental 
And, you know, from a, from a wellness perspective, you know, it's about eating right eating and being balanced and leading healthy and balanced lives. It's a balanced exercise routine, but um, it also focuses on that balance in life. And that's, I, I'd say that's what's, that's what's kept us in it for so long. I've never done CrossFit, but um, I've walked by some gyms and it looks intimidating. So I've never actually went in. So is it as a group you do the workouts or individual workouts like you do at your own pace? That's a great question. Um, and so the way that we run our gym uh, here in Green Bay and in De Pere actually is the small little city just right outside of Green Bay. But in Green Bay, we, we run it by starting everybody one-on-one. -on -one. And so that was how Greg Glassman, who founded CrossFit back in the early 2000s, started it. Um, and so we started with personal training and we have a personal training focus at our gym and that, and that allows us as trainers to really get to know, um, we call everybody athletes because you guys all are. So we, we get to know our athletes, um, you know, what their limitations are, what their goals are most importantly. And then we kind of set them up for that success. So We then um, start everybody with those sessions, teach them, teach them the movements, because I think, you know, as I mentioned before, there's quite a lot to learn. And I mean, that's what's cool. That's what keeps it interesting. But that also can be a barrier. And I understand the, the whole intimidation factor. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it can be done both ways. And, and I think the best gyms do it both ways. They offer a personal training option, at least to get you started and teach you the movements and make sure you're doing it safely and with the right form. Uh, we have everyone lifting plastic PVC pipes before they even touch a barbell or a kettlebell or anything that's going to be weighted. Um, and we ensure that the movement is right. And that's what CrossFit teaches. Um, now, the thing that makes CrossFit interesting is unlike Orange Theory or unlike, um, you know, a 24-hour fitness, we're not franchises. So we're actually independent. Um, we're independent entities uh, under an affiliation model. And so, you know, everybody that owns a CrossFit gym can kind of do it their own way. And that's and that's really what the, the brand is about. And so um, depending on how good the trainer is or how good the owners are, your experience is going to be kind of quite different. And so it's going to be important for you to find that gym that is going to Um, honor, you know, your wishes and, and do things safely. After um, someone masters their individual movement with our one-on-one -on -one sessions, they do have the option to go into the group classes. Um, and then at that point, I would say that's what the majority of our members do. And then every day, it's about an hour long. We have about seven or eight classes a day. And those, those are led from start to finish by um, a CrossFit instructor, certified instructor, and everything from warm-up to movement instruction to proper, proper activation to then workout and then cool down. Um, that's, that's what we do. So. I saw you posted in, um, I think, Instagram, a photo of your daughter who had her soccer, had been canceled, her soccer practice, and she was working out with a group. Is that safe for kids to do? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, the, um, I would say typically we do not have kids um, working out alongside our group. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so Sloan is the daughter you're referring to. And so she's, she's seven. Um, so she's, she's young, but she's also been in the gym for, you know, since we've opened and, and in our other gyms before that. Um, mm -hmm. So she, she has also worked one-on-one -on -one with me quite a bit and has not only um, a lot of experience with the movements, but also has understanding of the etiquette of the gym, uh, safety, uh, you know, about, you know, keeping the personal space between her and someone working out next to her. Uh, additionally, she's gone through a number of our CrossFit kids classes. So I would say for the majority of our children, we definitely promote um, physical activity. Obviously, we can all agree that 
you know, a kid that's moving their bodies um, is better than a kid who's sitting on the couch. Mm -hmm. And then it's all then it's all about doing it safely. And as long as they're moving in a correct manner and being and being safe in that movement pattern and being safe around the implements, that's that's what it's all about. Now, my other daughter, who's five, doesn't quite have that awareness yet. And so mm -hmm. I, I would not allow her. Maybe she can go through some of the body weight warm ups and some of like the track style warm ups that we do. Um, and then my 18 month old, he stays in his safe area. That's kind of, <laughs> enough, you know, so yeah. um, it's, all, it's all about it's just it, it, I think it's more of an individual thing. Right. It's mm -hmm. I mean, I um, I ha I'll have a, you know, a 30 year old coming to my gym and, and they're not safe to work out in a group until they get that individualized instruction and until they have enough skills um, to implement the movements correctly. So I think it's really about that, that base individual understanding and teaching first. And then once they're once they're safe and have that understanding, then they can kind of be let led into the class environment. So CrossFit, it can be to anyone that wants to exercise. It can be for beginner, intermediate, actual athletes and sports, anyone you'd say? I would say, I would say that's 100% correct. And, okay. you know, a lot of people I think have gotten the wrong image potentially from CrossFit because of the CrossFit Games. CrossFit Games, just to kind of fill the audience in, is is a is an event that's held every year in Madison, Wisconsin. Now it used to be in California, and that and they deemed to find the fittest people on earth. And these people are legitimate professional athletes. Um, and so the sport of CrossFit, um, I think, has painted a picture that this is for like the most elite and like hardcore athletes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and while that's true to some extent. Um, the system was designed to maybe to be designed for for that level of athlete, but then all the instruction in all the education is then taught to the instructor on how to take that maybe one workout and then scale it infinitely down to any style of athlete to a, a mediocre athlete, someone who's been doing it for quite some time, maybe someone who's been only doing it for a few weeks, or someone who's brand new. Um, the movements can be adjusted. But the, but the stimulus of the workout and the purpose of what we're trying to get out of it with this correct systems, that can be adjusted based on that person's level, wherever they're at. You mentioned about having some kids' classes. Is that uh, just um, for certain CrossFit, like depending on the interest level? Or and at, if so, at what age are those classes um, for? Yeah, another good question. I would say that um, so we have had success with camp, like camp, kids camps. And so we would run things for about four to five days in a row, whether it's over the summer break or over spring break or winter break, especially those times when when kids really need that structure and activity and they're not getting it through school or through another activity. Um, and we would start those anywhere between four and five is probably the youngest. The ability, you know, they're going to need to have that ability to follow a group instruction. We we did run a uh, my daughter's um, five year old birthday party at the gym, and that was quite interesting. But the younger <laughs> the kid, the younger the kids, the more games we're going to be playing. Um, okay. You know, Yeah, more movement games. And we might, you know, it might be red light, green light, or it might be Simon Says, but instead of just like tapping your head or or, or running, maybe you're doing um, air squats or you're doing jumping jacks or you're doing burpees. And so we'll try to incorporate some of those movements into games um, at, for our younger population. And then as the kids get a little bit older, so we ran our camp from about ages five to about nine or 10. As they get a little older, we can get more um, advanced with some of those instructions and some of those movements. We might 
might we might start to incorporate medicine balls or or light dumbbells or light kettlebells um, or even a barbell if, if the kid is interested. So I would say that that's the range. About five to ten is what we target for our, our kids' classes. Um, and then once they start getting into those preteen and teen years, we we actually run a teen group as well that that's a little more advanced with movements. So is that a specific to your CrossFit or it's a program that that is given by CrossFit? Uh, good question. So there are um, there is a CrossFit Kids certification, um, but there's also another certification called the Brand X Method. And these guys, um, I would call them the foremost authority on youth training and certifications right now. Um, and that's and those and these are a group that um, that we've been in contact with and we've talked to um, and have learned quite a bit from. And so that. Is a uh, if you guys are interested in, in uh, Instagram, you can give them a follow over there because they got some really cool um, just ideas for keeping kids active and and what types of training is really important um, for the youth. So can you repeat the name of that of that company? Yep, brand like uh, like a clothing brand, B R A N D X, just the letter X, and then method. Okay, so they yep. get like this. Okay, so you you wrote in. In a post, in an F effort is a choice that we have to make to move. Yeah. And you coach some youth athletes at CrossFit. What do you see as the common denominator in these kids that motivates them to keep moving, to become stronger? Wow, that's a really good question. I think, um, you know, it kind of, I think a lot of them, the one common denominator is that fitness, movement, and the value that they place behind that is, is modeled by their parents. Mm. You know, I think a lot of them either have parents who are members at our gym or who are members of another gym or who are heavily involved in cycling or jujitsu or whatever their physical expression of choice might be. But their parents have instilled instilled that as a value in their family and almost as like a family expectation that we like to talk about a lot in the BCC and we'll maybe jump into that later but it's an expectation of the family that that physical movement and honoring our bodies in that way is just is just a part of who we are in a way so you see the impact that parents have on kids how to live their life like with your kids you're mm -hmm. probably transferring those values to them as well even though they're young have you started to talk to them about exercising moving their bodies you do like family exercise yeah, yeah. no you, you're laughing but I mean, that's exactly what we do that's exactly what we do I mean it was a huge reason why we wanted to maybe open the gym it was a little selfish from that standpoint that we wanted a place for our kids to be to, you know in the in, in the winter here in Green Bay we we get it gets pretty cold for a long time and so mm -hmm. having that big indoor space that they can run around in do box jumps and hang on the rings and and express themselves and have fun with it um you know whether it's at the gym or even in our house like if we're you know just feeling as if there's just like bad energy in our house or if we just are feeling like the kids have too much we might just write a, a family workout and you know we'll have each member of the family pick a movement and then we can all you know maybe draw a card and that movement would be five of uh you know air squats or or 10 burpees or 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 seven push-ups and we kind of all do it together um put some music on and, and have fun with it and that usually is uh is a, is a weekly occurrence in this house at least <laughs> that's funny because like i have a one and a half daughter and my son who's three and a half and he's very energetic and every time I feel like he's getting cranky and 
I always say, okay, we have to go outside. We have to go outside and move. Like he needs to let this energy out. And we go yeah. to the park nearby and he feels so much better just by doing that. Oh yeah. Just getting outside. Yeah. Outside is, is perfect. And, and, the, and when we can get outside, we definitely do. And, um, I think, I mean, we do that same thing we have, we go for walks and, you know, part of it, all right, my little guy's about the same age. And so part of the time he's riding in the wagon and then he's pulling the wagon and then he's pushing it and he's going up and down the curb. And, and so, yeah, you can just see the regulation, um, that, that exercise can do for kids. And, and that's something that, you know, in my, when I was practicing, um, in the autism world, we would implement into quite a few treatment plans for kids that demonstrated those types of behavioral issues. Because we do see about even up to an hour to two hours after some intense exercise, the research has shown and my own experience has shown that that has some really powerful regulation properties. I believe that. Yeah, I truly believe that. For a listener today who might not necessarily be doing CrossFit or intense workouts, um, what would you say to a parent, to a mom that has, let's say, like you, three kids, they're young in age, uh, maybe like yours, uh, she works full time, comes home, you know, supper, uh, bath time, whatever every parent has to do before bedtime. And the common excuse, I don't have time. What would you say would be a good way of finding either those little 20 minutes or for you, is it better to do like one intense workout a week? Yeah, I think I think it really depends um, on what else they got going on. I mean, I, I, I really do. I understand, you know, we have that we I hear a lot of those things coming through. But one thing I like to do for people is just to have them even take an inventory, because it's real easy for us to say, oh, I don't have time or, oh, I, I, I eat healthy, but I just can't seem to, you know, lose the extra pounds or I just, I can't have the time to work out. I said, okay, well, maybe what we really need to start with is a little bit of self-exploration and keep, you know, a one to five day journal of what you actually do throughout the course of your day and, and look at that journal and see like, what am I actually eating? When am I actually um, sitting on you know, my couch watching a show or just scrolling randomly through my phone. And those could be times where I could be prepping food or I could be exercising or spending some more time with my kids. So kind of using just an internal audit to look at yourself truly, if, if you're really wanting to make that change, um, is a, is a, is a really good start. And then kind of going backwards from there. I mean, a lot of our CrossFit workouts that we do can be no, they don't have to be longer than 10 minutes. Um, you know, granted, you know, if you're using weights and that type of stuff, you're going to want to warm up. But if you're just using your body, um, you know, a couple runs up and down the backyard with the kids or even just a walk around the block can put you, like you said, in a completely different mind space and, and be a nice dose. Is it the best perfect dose? Well, maybe not, but it's better than nothing. And mm -hmm. so I think if you just had a goal to examine and take that audit as step one and then step two. Just see if you can then somewhere in that audit find just 10 to 20 minutes to just move. Um, and then if it's a if it's a kid's issue, bring them with you or incorporate them in some way and, and see if you can at least start with that. For me, the kids yeah. are at daycare twice a, a week. So today I went to Orange Theory. I did like intense workout cool. and I feel I'm good for <laughs> 
for most of the week apart. Yeah. Like that's the the time I can focus with other kids and the rest of the week I'm like running around with them or going at the park. But for you, you'd say the best and probably it would be easier just finding a little bit of time every day. Yeah. And I think that's for the person who maybe isn't doing anything. I think where, where you're at right now is it sounds like you you found that balance and you've done your time audit and you said, hey, I know this time during this time, my kids are at daycare and this is when I'm going to get my membership. And I'm a huge fan of Orange Theory in general. I think their model is awesome. And I also um, am a huge fan of CrossFit because both in both those models, you have an instructor leading you through. Mm -hmm. And so you have someone who is holding you accountable um, to proper movement, to proper scaling, to the proper intensity. And so when you are going into that high intensity mode, I would definitely recommend a coach of some sort, um, mm -hmm. whether it's a personal trainer or whether you join one of these group classes. There's a lot of options. Even the YMCA has, you know, hit classes that you could look at and join. And I know up here, Experience Fitness is a big chain. You could look at that. So there's options. And, and I think intensity is the best, most fastest route to fitness. But it's also when you turn the intensity up, you also open up the door for risk quite a bit. Mm -hmm. and so you need to make sure that you are moving properly. And that's where a coach comes in. So I definitely think, you know, if you are going to carve out some intensity pieces um, and you are just getting started with that, um, go in and, and find someone, find your local CrossFit gym, find your local Orange Theory, find your local wherever and, and talk with, the, with, with one of the experts and just kind of start that conversation and then go from there. Yeah. That's great. You wrote sports and fitness has always been a part of your life since you were a child, ever since you can remember. When do you remember starting to interested in sports? And was that uh, initiated by your parents? Yeah. Um, my, 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 so my father, I think has a big, a big role to play with this. He, um, was one of four brothers. And so they, you know, d did everything at active outdoors, um, together. He also was a very high level, uh, speed skater. And so uh, he competitively engaged in a lot of that until he was about in college. And then in college, he kind of then started, you know, finding other things and it didn't end up, he didn't end up continuing on. But he always, um, he, you know, he always encouraged me to move and was always playing catch with me in the backyard and um, or as, as he would call it, chase, because I would throw the ball and it would go flying and then he would run and get it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but, you know, and I always remember um, and I think this is interesting because Hillary and I are very similar to this. Um, you know, we may not have grown up with all of the resources, but, you know, whenever it came to um, signing up for a sport and there was a new glove or new shoes that needed to be bought, our parents always figured a way to make that a priority um, and to get that need met. So I think when it came from like a time and from a financial resources perspective, like both of our parents made that very important that we would have whatever we needed to at least participate um, in that sport. And so growing up, it was for me, it was soccer and And baseball. Um, and then when I got to high school, it was uh, baseball, track and football, and then football in college. So I mean, that had just been such a kind of piece of my life um, since day one. And I, and I would definitely think um, it started with my father. And then my mom was right there next to him supporting me all the way. <laughs> She was your cheerleader? Oh, yeah, they they between the two of them, I don't think missed one football game and I played football in, at St. Cloud State in Minnesota and so that was about a seven hour six to seven hour drive from Milwaukee 
um, but they would make it every weekend or wherever they needed to go to, to make all the games. And so um, they were huge supporters of me through that. Yeah. Do you have any siblings? I do. Yeah. yeah. So I have, a, I have a sister who's two years younger than I am. Yep. Emily. Okay. And is she as into sports and fitness as you are? So this is uh this so this is uh I think a nice segue as to kind of maybe my my passion for um for helping because uh she is two years younger than me but cognitively maybe about ten to fifteen years younger. Um when she was born, um she suffered some trauma um to to her her brain. She had the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck and suffered suffered, suffered some anoxic some anoxic activity. So she she had some brain damage um early on and and luckily was actually saved. Her life was saved by the, the talented doctor who who did um an emergency C section. Um, and, but she almost went for, I think about, about five minutes without oxygen during the mm. birthing process. So my, I just, you know, my, remember my dad telling me the story and, and then, you know, them after the fact, not really, you know, giving them any news because they didn't know, um, how she was going to, um, react to that type of trauma. Um, so the long, the long, um, the, I guess the short story is, so she had a life of, of challenges, whether it's physical and mental However, she is extremely resilient and um, it did end up graduating high school with special ed support, um, ended up going to a number of different colleges that ended up providing some special education support um, and then graduated from Whitewater um, only a few years ago, but did so um, with a degree in recreation management. And now I will be happy to say that she actually just gained her full time uh, employment with as a as a camp counselor with one of the YMCA camps here in Wisconsin last week. So, so I would say her she definitely has passion for sports. Um, growing up being a supporter of me, um, and she likes watching them. We actually it was her birthday last week, and so we we took her to the uh, the Brewers game um, on uh, last last Sunday with us. Um, but you know, I would say like, as far as her playing sports, she, she played some soccer growing up and she's, and she did some swimming, but just due to, um, some physical challenges and some of the cognitive challenges, like she was never quite successful, um, at them, but she still enjoys moving. And so even for someone who has those challenges, she still makes fitness and, and moving a big part of her life. Um, and you know, makes a big priority to do that. And that was even the degree she wanted to go in because of that. So. So when you were growing up with her, did you have a specific role in helping your parents with her or how was the dynamic? Yeah, it's a good question. So her disability, um, you know, what it wasn't significant enough where, you know, she needed help with any self-care. She, she did pretty well with all that stuff. Her communication came a little bit slow, but, you know, she was able to fully and functionally communicate. Um, you know, by the time I would say she was like three and four um, due to some nice therapy and, and all that stuff. More so socially, I would say, is like where she was most impacted and, and still is. Um, but, you know, to be completely honest, when when I was, um, you know, growing up as a kid uh, of the sibling with a disability, it's a really it's a really weird and tough dynamic because there's part of you, um, you know, that selfishly wants to um, just have a sibling that is just like you. You know, you want a mm -hmm. sibling that you can play catch with in the backyard or, you know, we were brother and sister. So maybe that we could hang out with, with each other and, and, you know, really relate and bond and, and, um, just due to her disabilities, it just, it just never really was, was that type of relationship. Um, it was more of, you know, Hey, she's going to follow me around and, and I have to look out for her and take care of her. So 
so when I was young, I mean, it was it was challenging, and and I still you know carry quite a bit of. Um, it used to be shame, I, I would call it, where you know I didn't feel as if I I valued her um, enough, or I didn't feel as if I contributed enough, and I don't think it was t- until about high school um, where I I had some kind of like breakthrough realizations that like you know, hey, jerk, this, this isn't about you, you know, and this isn't about, you know, the, your family dynamic, it's about her and, and anything you can do to help her. Um, and so, you know, that was a turning point for me where then I would try to, you know, be more support to her and more support to my, to my mom, who um, my mother was really the one who, who led the ship with her rehab and then with her therapies and then now with her transition into adulthood. Um, she, she was, I mean, she was the, the, the driver for sure. Was your mother working with specialized kids or she stayed home and helped your, your sister? Yeah. So my mom had her, um, had a degree in special education. And so, so between, um, between, you know, her skills that she used in the classroom, um, and then, you know, applying it to the home, um, she, she did a lot of that. So my mother was, um, she did it, she worked in a number of different settings, you know, some, some emotional behavioral or EBD, um, some what they used to, you know, call cognitive uh, disabled or CD. And then, you know, now what we call autism, that wasn't necessarily a classification for classrooms back then, but she did a lot of that work growing up in, in her classrooms, that was a lot of the exposure that I got to, to see and work with a lot of those kids as well. My sister as well. I mean, my sister was in those rooms as well. And But I would say, um, you know, even though, so she worked full time, you know, and then after school or what, what have you, we would go to daycare and then and then go um, home and, and then she would she would keep, you know, keep caring after that. So, yeah, it was pretty epic. Yeah. You said there's a moment uh, that it kind of clicked for you and you, how you view your sister and made you appreciate things. If it's not too personal, are you able to explain or talk about that moment? Yeah, I can. So I went to, the high school I went to was a Jesuit high school, Marquette University High School in Milwaukee. And one main thing they have their students do in junior and senior year is a retreat and so that retreat was something that we um prepared for that we would write speeches about and my topic was was knowing yourself and so i was writing i was writing this story or writing this speech and i was having a tough time with it because a lot of my past was either athletics or you know hanging out with my parents and and but my sister was this huge piece to that and so so I was struggling with it and and it wasn't until I really started diving in and and opening up that box that was really previously closed or just hidden in a way that wasn't something that I wanted to take head on or even admit that I I started thinking about it so I started writing that speech started talking about her and our relationship and how potentially I just felt distant from it, felt this mixture of shame and guilt and, and um, anger that she was the way that she was. And, and then I think coming to a realization that the only way to, to really figure this out is to get to know her better and to spend more time with her and to, and to be in her life more. And so that was all of a sudden started writing about that. And then the speech just flowed and, you know, ended up, writing for 20, 30 minutes in tears and feeling all of it. So that 
I can look back on and say was probably one of the pivotal moments that really turned me around with how I viewed that perspective to kind of flip the script. And so that that's what I can point to. And then after that, there's been, you know, we've had our, just like any relationship, it, it goes up and down, it goes down and mm-hmm. we're both, we're both still really busy um, with our family, especially with my family and now with her transition into adulthood. But I would say that our relationship now and our conversations now are, are as healthy and as good as, as they've ever been. And um, really looking forward to continuing down that path. I know we still have quite a ways to go to, to nurture that relationship too. So what did your parents teach you about how to be in life? what kind of person you should be? Yeah, I, I mean, I think both of them have a little different flavor and upbringing. My, my dad was, you know, one of the guys that he really values hard work. Uh, he still, he worked for nearly 50 some years at Xerox, retired, and now he works uh, at Bass Pro Shop because he loves to fish and he just can't <laughs> sit around and do nothing. But he still works, you know, 20 hours a week and and he won't you know, miss a shift or he won't take off time unless he's you know well in advance. So he's a he's one that really instilled in me the value of working hard and, and how important that was to get things done. And almost too, I think his always phrase was from his father was if you're going to do something you might as well do it right and do it all the way. And I think that has instilled with me all the time. I know Hillary will say that my wife, that if I'm trying to get a project done, it's going to be, it's going to be perfect and it's going to be really well done. And sometimes it inhibits us to, to launch things and so mm-hmm. she has to push me along. And I'm sure you can feel that too. <laughs> uh, but so I would say that's the main thing he, he really instilled in me as well as the value of, people and that that's really what matters in this life is the relationships that we have with people the time that we spend with them the memories we create with them and that you know his mother had taught him that it's not about your status or your title or where you came from it's about you know who you are and and, and we're not going to ever judge people her her famous line my grandmother's famous line was always you need to be able to dine with the princes and the paupers and everybody in between because there's no such thing as as being too good for someone else. We're all made equal, you know. So that that's that, those are some of the the core things that he taught me. And my mom is is the ultimate optimist. She's one that always views the glass as half full. She's always one that it believes in creating your own reality with your thoughts and the power of positivity and positive mindset. And so that would be something that she has always shared with me, you know, from a mindset perspective. And then with her work that, you know, these people who have challenges are the ones who need to be championed for. And so that was something that drove me into the field of dealing with developmental disabilities and working in the field of behavior change, because they need help and their parents need help and we're the ones you know that that can maybe do a little bit of that work so you know the positivity piece the mindset piece and then and then the true love for whoever has always been something that they both instilled in me growing up oh wow that's beautiful by the time it came for you to decide uh your career path was it clear for you based on everything you experienced before that you wanted to go in behavioral therapy? I, that, that's a, that's a tricky question because I always knew I wanted to help people. 
that the way and how that would work, I think was almost paid for me. And I, and I do believe that things happen for a reason. But when I went to, to college, I went there on a football scholarship. And it just so happens that this college at St. Cloud was one of the only programs in the Midwest that had a applied behavioral analysis master's program on campus. So that I got to know a little bit about I was taking some some actual pre-med classes is what I originally had started with. I wanted to be either a pharmacist or, or I wanted to be, you know, a doctor and I wanted to help people in that way. Mm-hmm. But as I got into higher level chemistries and calculus too, I was like, I don't know if this is for me. <laughs> so, and I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of balance. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I was playing football. I also worked at a bar and I like to have a good time with my friends. And so all that stuff didn't quite line up with being an A plus um, math and science student. So I decided I'd look a different route and I went into some of the psychology classes and I I found a behavioral psychology class that was taught um, by one of the professors and started learning about B.F. Skinner and I started learning about Pavlov and learn about um, some of the work that they're doing in the applied setting with Dr. Lovas and and in the autism world. And and that stuff just was like, oh my gosh, this is it. It's kind of the science blend of psychology. So it's science based psychology in a lot of ways they use a lot of data they take a lot of a lot of their decisions are based on objectivity and so that spoke to me from like a core and and from there I jumped into some internships and my fate was pretty much sealed after that because I Mm -hmm. fell in love with it so you've worked for over a decade in that field um Mm -hmm. Behavioral therapy with children diagnosed with autism and cognitive disabilities. What have you learned working with these kids uh, about their parents? What's the main thing you took away or strength these kids had? You hear people complain and they're healthy or they have no uh, disabilities. And so what have you learned the most about working with these kids? Yeah, for sure. And I think we'll we'll definitely tie it back to parents because that's that's where my work is now. And I think the most important work, um, at least that I can do. But going back to working directly with the kids, part of my part of my initial internship was in a school as well. So there was it was really cool to see. And I love working with schools. I did a lot of that work throughout my career. But to start in the school setting, it was interesting to see because not only are you working with that one child with a with a significant disability? You're surrounded by other children, which almost amplifies their disability. Because if you're working at home with a child, it's that home and that child, and that becomes the normal. But when you see that child, you know, next to 25 other fun- highly or normal functioning ch- children, you you can really see the discrepancies. Mm-hmm. And I think throughout through that, you 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 almost can jump down two paths. The first path is you feel really bad, right? You feel really bad that this is the this is the deck of cards that this kid was was given and you can just sit there and say that's not fair and feel and start to get mad at everyone who treats this kid different, especially other kids, or you can you can take the the path of well, you know, they look pretty happy and they're actually doing really well to themselves. It's really the rest of the rest of the world is viewing them as this way. Um, and so it was always my goal uh, whenever I worked with a child to get them as 
happy and as independent as possible. And so whatever that means to them, the one thing that you'll learn, um, and if any of your audience either has a child on the spectrum or knows and works in the, in the field, they'll know that the common saying is you've met, if you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. So you quickly learn that every single kid is so unique and different and you, and you start to get to know these kids as let's just say Johnny, right? You, it's not, a kid with autism or it's it's Johnny it's one person and you start to value their individual strengths and you start to look at what they have as individual weaknesses and work through those it is that path that has then allowed the door to be opened up to start to get some real good work done um but i think it's all about celebrating and this kind of goes to the parents now i've worked with some parents who who have a really tough kid or a really a really tough draw and I've had some parents who, you know, maybe have had a kid who just needs a little bit of help. And the happiness factor never was dependent on the severity of the disability. The happiness of the family, of the kid, and of the parents was always connected to their outlook mm-hmm. and, their, and to their ability to mm-hmm. set goals that are realistic and to appreciate those goals when they're accomplished or to learn from them if they're not accomplished in a just course. And I think that that ability to to control your variables, what you can control and learn from your environment instead of just having a pessimistic and a woe is me attitude is what really, truly drove happiness in in the field. Um, and it obviously carried over to me as the practitioner, too, because then you directly feed off of that. So I would say that would be my number one takeaway is the kids and the parents that were the happiest were the ones who could control their variables who let the rest of it go and who learn from the challenges and never stop trying. So that's perfect to start talking about your newest business, BCC, Behavior yeah. Change Collective. Yep. Uh, so for the listeners, can you explain exactly what is your goal and what platform are you using to help people? Is it private coaching, online courses and things like that? Yeah, for sure. So I will kind of start general and then we can drill into some of those specific services. So in general, the Behavior Change Collective is a positive parenting coaching platform. And so it's a place where parents can come together and gather resources, share resources, gain support, um, not only from ourselves, um, myself as a professional, and then Hillary as a parent, and then the two of us together as a parenting couple, but also with each other. I mean, and that was why we went with the term collective, because it is a collect- it is a collection of like-minded individuals who want to really make the best out of their family situation. And I think that was one of the hard things about working uh, for the insurance companies and for, for the state or for the federal government through my other work was that parent training was a requirement of services. It wasn't Um, something that you could just like sign up for and people were excited about. And so (laughs) with this, yeah, with this new venture, not only is it not discriminatory because previously you could only receive my help or services if, is if, or any ABA services, if you had a child on the spectrum, these services are available for any child, for any parent, regardless of diagnosis, regardless of what their age or functioning level is, because it's about behavior and that that's what I went to school for. We went, I went to school to learn how to help make a real significant impact in people's lives from a behavioral perspective, not necessarily, I didn't go to school to be, a, be an autism therapist. So 
that's what this this platform is about. It's about any parent who wants some help, um, whether it's just like a little thing or if it's a big thing. Um, and we have services to line that up. Currently, we have two Facebook pages. Those I would say are our main platforms and our Instagram page, which is tied to our Facebook page. The public pages are available for anyone to follow. Um, and those you can find at Behavior Change Collective. And they provide some free resources. We do, we write content nearly every day um, and publish to those to those uh, two platforms. But then what we have just launched over the past few weeks is our private parenting group, and that's called Behavior Change Collective Parents. And you can ask to join that. Um, it's it's still free of charge. There's no charge to that group either. But we want that group to be a little more, it's more private um, so that you feel that you can reach out directly into that group and that you know that your questions or um, that those things that you're gonna be commenting on are not just out there for everybody to see. And so that is our private Facebook group and we go live in that Facebook group. We try to go live every week. And so this week we'll most likely be going live on Sunday night. The, the night that we go live changes because my wife still works nights and it kind of flexes but we'll announce when we go live and, and those lives go anywhere from, we try to make them about a half hour or something that's not too too long for you to and just get something tangible out of there. We cover a variety of topics. And then off of the last service that we have just launched um, is, our, is our private coaching service. And so those, those are a private coaching service that we offer um, intensively for up to a six week package we do a two-week package and then we just do like a one call and so those are directly done with us um, over zoom and that can be anyone in the world can take this uh, private coaching because it's yep. done online right exactly that's the whole point we wanted to say hey there is no barrier as far as distance on that goes um, and and just a quick little teaser Hillary and I are working on a course right now but what we want to do is we want to work privately with about 10 to 20 different families before we launch our course because we really want to get a good feel for what our community is wanting as far as that support. Mm -hmm. Um, we have a good idea. We started working on the course and a lot of those ideas are still really valid and that's our framework. Uh, but we want to make sure that we're delivering a product that everybody is really going to be wanting and, and, and hitting all of those needs um, and hoping that they line up with what we think they want. And mm -hmm. so um, that, that's a project that you can definitely see coming um, probably by, uh, by Christmas time. Okay. So are there specific topics that you're focusing on more with um, challenges uh, for parents with kids? Yeah. So I think in general, our most, our, some of our most popular content is definitely around controlling challenging behaviors. Uh, our sticker charts are a huge, was one of our first things that we um, have helped a lot of people with. So how to make a sticker chart, which is a reward system for home, how to run that, how to make it for your family, and then how to define or set those, those family expectations that then kind of guide everything. So our framework kind of starts around setting those expectations once those expectations are very clear and laid out, how do we run that with visuals, whether it be um, morning routines or a, some sort of sticker chart or reinforcement system? And then on the back end, it's how do we ensure that we are setting our interactions up to be more positive than negative so we can create a climate and an environment of positivity in our home to hold everyone accountable, including ourselves. 
In one of the videos you did with uh, Hillary recently on your Facebook page, you talked about perception. I want to talk about that because I'm having that challenge with my son. Is yeah. that the same thing as expectations? If, well, is I, it I different? A, I think they're a little different. And, and the reason they're different is because I think expectations are something that you know, you're, you and your spouse or your parenting team, or if you're a single parent, you know, maybe just yourself or someone else that you trust can, can lay out ahead of time and, and think of those as if, as a, as like a family mission statement in a way, you know, our companies do this, right. The, the most effective ones lay out, this is what we're about. You know, we tolerate this, we don't tolerate that. And if you can lay out those expectations really clear, it's almost like a, a guiding North star that's going to then allow the rest of your, all, all your interventions and what you're going to accept as far as behaviors, what are you going to just not deal with or what are you going to ignore? What are you going to try to redirect? What are you going to try to replace? It allows all the rest of that to kind of fall in line. So those family expectations, I think, is a really good place to start. And then after that, you can then go down the line into other pieces of the more specific framework. Now, when when we're talking about perception, I think it's the perception that you need to sometimes remind yourself of. So the family expectations is maybe something mm -hmm. that you set straight for your kids. Now, granted, you should be trying to follow them too, but <laughs> you know, it's it's your perception that you are in control of at all times. Let's be honest. I mean, I, our house is not a hundred percent, you know, following our expectations, and we can't control that. I can't control what my little mm -hmm. one is going to do day in and day out. But what I can control is my own effort and my own perception, at least most of the time, and and become conscious of it. If, I, if I'm becoming negative or if I'm always viewing things or yelling or picking battles, those are not going to be things that um, are going to get us closer to our goal. And our main goal is just to have a joyful home. You know, so. Yeah. When you when you talked about perception, there's something I absolutely loved. It was like an aha moment for me. I think your wife said it's thinking about who really needs the change in the behavior, mm -hmm. you or your child, you exactly. or your child. Yeah. And for me, I it was like, wow, because often we think we're the parent, like we're the one that knows best for her child. And it's easy to blame the child when they're not cooperating or they're yelling or they're saying, no, they don't want to clean up. And can you talk more about this? Why yeah. is this something we should think about? And sh how often should we think about this? Well, you know, it especially for, from a little one perspective, like you are everything to them. You mm -hmm. created them. You control their food. You control all that. And so when they are communicating to you, we always, one of our other main things we like to preach is behavior is communication. When they're communicating to you, maybe not through their words, through their, through their behavior, you need to ask yourself, what are they trying to tell me? Because I'm the one who's the adult here. You know, I'm 30 plus years old or 40 plus years old. I should be the one who can, can regulate, take a pause and say, hey, this isn't going well so what's going on I can have that critical thought more so than that child mm -hmm. and so it's often you that can take that deep breath and then relate it to um, and then figure out a solution when it's your 18 month old or it's your two-year-old or it's your four-year-old in a tantrum 
that's not really in their control or in their ability most of the time. So yeah, you're, you're, you're hundred percent right. And, and we'll be completely honest um, at the BCC. A lot of parents come to us for us helping to fix their kids, but it's really going to be their behavior. That's going to need to change to make it, to make it a lasting change. Wow. That's like deep, <laughs> but then as parents, it kind of puts the pressure on being happy, fun, like good, a hundred percent. Because if you're frustrated, then it it affects your child. If you're, because they they observe everything you do. My son, he's like a reflection of me sometimes, and it's scary in a way because he shows what my strengths are, what what I need to improve. They absorb absolutely everything they they start talking with the words you're using and then you you don't even realize it until they kind of start saying things so this is really good yeah and I think just kind of coming back to that point is um you know that's why we set those expectations and we're we but I but we also we also set a standard that no one is perfect and I love Hillary did a post um a week ago or so about omitting I think it was actually when we were going through our family expectations and I had said to Larkin, our, our uh, spirited child, as we'll call her, (laughs) so (laughs) that like, Hey, we don't yell in this house. And she goes, dad, you yell at me. And, and then, you know, right away I had to pause and I go, you know, Larkin, I have yelled at you and I'm sorry about that. And I think being honest, taking ownership of it, and then showing them that it's okay to make mistakes as long mm-hmm. as you're constantly working to get better and improve at it. And for these expectations, do you write them and put it on the wall or yeah, just talk exactly, about it? No, that's yeah. exactly what I would do. And if our kids are readers, right, if they're old enough to read, mm-hmm. I mean, that seven, eight-year-old plus, um, I would definitely write them out. If you have some kids like we do in our house that aren't readers, you know, we might pair a picture with it. It okay. could just be a symbol, um, even off of like if you just go to Google Images and you just look for a clip art or or a, or yeah. a symbol picture or whatever it might be. Um, you know, we'll put those up on the wall and then we'll review them. And the first time that we review them, we would also want them to be still paired with positivity. We don't want these expectations to be viewed negatively. And mm-hmm. so we'll, we want to make sure we talk about them when everybody is cool and calm and stable. And then maybe we'll even say, hey, after we talk about this, we're going to go to the park and we're going to have some fun. And so you almost pair it with a situation mm-hmm. that's fun, too. And that way it's not like, oh, these these rules now are up in my fridge and I got to follow them. It's It's not rules. And that's why we chose the word expectations, because it's just a a goal and a guide for us to live by our family so that we can have a happy and healthy house. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Another thing um, I just want to mention quickly for the tantrums, because I'm in some mom forms and it seemed to be like the main thing mothers and parents ask about how to stop tantrums. And I find that it's kind of putting a Band-Aid be just on the tantrum. And yeah. you talk about there's always a reason and it might not be linked to what's actually happening in that moment. It might be linked to something earlier. 
talk about that. That's yeah, so that's that's a that's a great one, and and I and I don't want to go too long on this one because this is a riff that I definitely can go in the weeds. So cut me off if, <laughs> if I'm going too much. Okay. But but the long and short of it are, you know, we want to look at why the behavior is occurring, and we call that function. And so the function of behavior isn't defined by the moment; it's defined by the previous experiences that our kids have had with that. So just a quick story, um, you know, our 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 little one. She was at school today. This is, um, and so she she didn't have a good breakfast. So halfway through the school day, she starts having a tantrum, and we can't figure. The the, the school calls us, and they're like, "What's going on?" And you know, I'm trying to calm her down, and she's in full blown meltdown mode. This isn't. No one's getting through to her. Well, the long and short of it was, she was hungry, and she did, felt bad that she didn't want to ask for a snack, and so. When she got on the phone with us, we, we asked if she wanted to have a snack. She said yes. She ended up having a snack, and then she was good to go. So there's no way for the school to know that information. And mm -hmm. this is our five-year-old who, who can communicate very, very well. She's one of the most talkative kids you'll know. But when she's in crisis, um, the, the, more, the more severe and significant the, the dysregulation of the behavior is, the lower their ability is to communicate. It's inverse. It goes directly the opposite way. So mm -hmm. this, the same thing happens with your partner or your husband or your wife. If you're arguing, you can't make a logical argument when you're super pissed. You just say things you regret. Um, it's not logical. And, you know, when we're super mad, that's just what happens. And so we now the function of that behavior was she was hungry and her blood sugar was crashing. So it was actually something internal. Um, so that's one example of things, you know, but. She had, a, she had a granola bar, boom, she's back on her way. Now, another example might be if there was a kid in the class who's having a tantrum because he was, um, he was not given any attention by his teacher, and then the teacher is going to come and just be like, oh, what's wrong, Johnny? And then and that, stops the, and that stops the behavior. Well, that could be a whole different reason now, right? This kid wasn't hungry. He just wanted attention, and he didn't know how to um, request that in an appropriate way. Now you take another kid who's having that same behavioral tantrum and meltdown and he was told that he needed to do some homework or some work that he didn't know how to do and he didn't know how to ask for help. So now this kid has having a tantrum for another completely different reason. And so that is where we try to we try to create a lot of our education around diving into we there's about four different reasons that we can generally say might cause behavior. Mm -hmm. We try to create a lot of education around looking at the behavior and looking at the patterns for what happens before and what happens after the behavior and try not to fixate so much on the behavior itself mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to that. Now, if we're going to end up uh, trying to stop a tantrum in the moment, you are going to have, um, you know, to do what you got to what you're going to have to do. Right. Yeah. If the behavior is not safe or if, um, you know, especially with one of our little ones. You're going to do everything you can to stop it in the moment, but I think you you had a really good point to the start. This question is that's not necessarily going to prevent it from happening again. It is mm -hmm. a bad, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and sometimes just one last point, and sometimes you can actually make things worse if if you do um, deliver exactly what they want in that moment. So um, another common example that I like to use is you know your grocery shopping. Yeah, your, the classic one. <laughs> yeah, the classic one, right? The kids having a tantrum in the aisle, and you just want them to stop tantruming, and you give them a candy bar. So everyone knows not to do that, right? Mm -hmm. But the jerks at the grocery store keep putting candy right there in, in the aisle, right? So, <laughs> um, but but that's an example, I think, to illustrate the point of if your child's tantruming, and then you buy them the box backs of fruit snacks because you just want them to stop tantruming, then the next time they go in the grocery store, they're going to do that same thing, right? Mm -hmm. So 
So that is so that is going to be um, like what we would call bribery, not necessarily reinforcement. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could use that same exact item, the box of fruit snacks, and if you wanted to use it as positive reinforcement, you could say, okay, if you know, let's just use the name Claire. Claire, if we go if we go into shop today, and you're a good girl, and you're you're a big helper for mommy, and you help me pick my things out, then at the end of the store, we can get that special treat for you. And she goes, and we're like, okay. And then you ask her, okay, so how do you get your special treat? She repeats it back to you, and then you guys go through. You have a good grocery trip, and now she gets that reinforcer or those fruit snacks for having positive behavior versus last trip you went and she had that she got that box of fruit snacks for having negative or challenging or tantruming behavior. Yeah, that's a good way. I want to talk about another thing um, you teach in BCC. You talk about three R's. What is that exactly? Yeah, so so this was this was um, a, a cool conversation that we had the other day, and and I'm I'm glad you asked the question. The question was. Well, you know, these token charts and these expectations and a lot of the stuff that we had kind of first came out with for content with the BCC was all great for kids, maybe five or six years old and plus. But -hmm. what if you have a toddler? You know, what Mm -hmm. if you have a 18 month old um, that you want to stop behavior with? Or what if you have um, a kiddo who is older but doesn't have either the language skills or the rule following skills to to use one of those systems? So. Then we kind of got me thinking and what our framework that we use is we call the three R's. And so that first R is going to be redirect. All right. Redirect. We got to redirect the behavior. Our second R is going to be we're going to replace. So we're going to replace that challenging behavior with something else that they're looking for. And then the last R is going to be reinforce. So I'm going to use the example with my little guy, Callan, because he's my 18-month-old, and hopefully you can relate to this one with your year and mm-hmm. a half old too. So um, one thing that he like loves to do is he loves to clean. It's like his favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's, <laughs> I call, he's, my, he's my custodial apprentice. <laughs> he just follows me around. If I'm vacuuming, he's all about it. So at our, <laughs> at our, at our gym, right, at our gym, obviously, there's a lot of cleaning that needs to be done, a lot of chalk and sweat on the floor. So we've got to clean every day. And so at the end of a long day, at 7 o'clock at night, the last thing I want to do is spend extra long time cleaning. And but that is exactly what Callan wants to do, right? <laughs> so so the first few times it was cute. I'd let him follow me around and you know he would I'd even let him hold the broom or hold the hold the mop. And but then after you know a, a time or two, I was like, man, we just gotta get this done. And so I just put him in his little kid area and he is screaming, right? He's crying, he's screaming. I'm like, this isn't good. So I I let him back out and, and try to redirect him a little bit, but the redirection wasn't effective because I was just like, Oh hey, look over here. And so he wasn't doing that, but the redirection, I was like, all right, I got to think of something else. I got to think of something else. What does he actually want? Well, I know he wants to clean, obviously. That's a pretty easy one. Um, So the redirection needs to be specific. In this situation, we have a little vacuum that we had, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to grab that little vacuum. So I start playing with the little vacuum. I also have like a little scrubber brush, so it looks like a mop. I got those two things out and started playing with them, and then he was immediately into it. So the redirection should be specific and fit that whatever function that it was for him. It was wanting to help me clean. And he played with that stuff for a good for a good, you know, 10 minutes. Um, and so I so I replaced what he wanted to do. So I redirected him with that and the other stuff. And then I replaced instead of him using my mop, he used that stuff. And then I reinforced him by like saying, oh, nice job cleaning, man. You're such dad's little helper. You did such a good job. So those three R's that redirect 
um, you know, replace and, and reinforce that those are going to be our kind of our go to uh, for, for stopping kind of toddler tantrums or like those in the moment tantrums. Mm-hmm. So you say this is good for the younger kids or up to what age do you think? Yeah, I would say I would say it's definitely my go to for younger kids. But you could take this and you can extrapolate it to as, as old as you want want to go. Um, you know, so maybe with our um, our seven year old, she might be, um, you know, wanting to go to do something with one of her friends. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. They're not available or whatever happens. So she starts tantruming. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I might just try to redirect her. But my re- my redirection for a seven year old is going to be different than, you know, what I'm going to use for my 18 month old, obviously, instead of. Hey, look at this over here, shiny thing. And that's not yeah. for her, but I could tell her a joke. I could make her laugh. I could ask her about her school day to try to get her mind onto something different. So redirection kind of just depends on whatever is effective for that kid. Um, okay. And then for her in that situation or that example of her wanting her to play with her friends, you know, the replacement might be, well, hey, your friend's not available right now, but why don't we call, um, you know, why don't we call grandma instead, or why don't we call your other friend, or why don't we play um, this board game, so we're then going to replace whatever activity that she wanted to do, um, what, what she used to be playing with her friends, we'll replace it with something else that's right there in front of her, and then we'll reinforce her, we'll tell her, you know what's you know what, Sloan, that was really, I really appreciated you accepting that you, hey, you couldn't, you couldn't necessarily play with your friend, but now we're, now we're doing this, and now we're having fun, right? And so being specific with that reinforcement, being specific with that praise or whatever it is, can go a long way, especially with our older kids. So it's always about uh, reinforcing positive things they do as opposed to saying, oh, why did you spill the milk? Like focusing on a positive way of saying. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're you're 100% right. Yeah, focus, try to always focus on the positive. And when we're setting, this kind of goes back to the first piece of our framework too. We talk about those expectations. It sets, it sets up that stage for success. And we want to focus on the things that we want them to do, not what we don't want them to do. So instead of saying, Hey, we don't hit, we say like, Oh, you know, we use our words when we're upset, Mm. you know, instead of saying like, we don't disobey, we don't um, ignore our parents, we could say, you need to follow what I'm asking you to do. So it's like, if you phrase things in the positive and the affirmative, that's going to then set you up to be able to actually reinforce that. And it also helps, I think, to make kids more resilient, because if anything happens, they'll try and think of the positive way they can improve or take the positive out of the event or the moment. Yeah, you're 100% right. Mm -hmm. How much do you think a child's behavior is due to their home environment? Ooh, so I... I mean, I, I can't say 100% because there's obviously other stuff yeah. that always goes on. Yes. But I mean, I am as I'm a behaviorist by training. So I want to say a lot. You know, I, I mean, there's not a, it's tough to say the exact amount, but it's a lot. And you look at, um, you know, there's twin studies that are done where you have one kid raised in one environment, one kid raised in an entire different environment. And you're going to see two different types of kids. It, it we're, we're dynamic learning individuals. And so we can learn behavior. And the number one place where we learn all of our behavior really is the home until we get to school. Um, and so, you know, unless you're just at a terrible school, that's, you know, that's teaching you not so great things, most of that then falls in the home. And so a lot of that learning is done there. And if you are 
not setting up those expectations, whether it be to live a healthy life or to have a positive mindset or to be responsible and respectful with your behavior choices, you know, you're going to leave a lot of room for just space to be filled with other things. And if a kid is, you know, not necessarily getting that type of interaction from the parents, and let's just say they're going to social media or they're going to YouTube or they're going to Netflix to learn what it is to be a good person or to be a person in general, you can understand maybe where those values could get twisted pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's I think it's everything in my opinion. What about if you're a working parent during the day, the kids are not home, they're in school, they're at daycare, even those very few hours they're at home, that still has the most impact? I think so, because um, one thing that that we learn um, about attention is that the more you the more rare it is, it's kind of think of if you hadn't seen your best friend, you know, in a, in a couple of months or even a year. And then you have that that lunch with them and you imagine you remember how how awesome it is to see them and you remember your whole conversation. We place a lot more value on things that we don't necessarily get every day. That's that novelty piece or that that kind of um, ability to, to have things controlled to just a small amount of time is something that our, our brains kind of crave. And mm-hmm. so I would say almost more it, those two hours are going to be the most important two hours for for your child because they're going to remember, you know, that time you played, you wrestled with them on the floor or you played soccer with them in the backyard or you spent, you read them that extra story um, or, you know, you worked through a, a challenging moment when they were tantruming and you were able to keep your cool and work through it with them. Um, you know, that's, those are the moments that, that are going to impact them. And so I would say even more important to, to parents who have limited time with their kids. So why is providing this service, BCC Now, important and what do you see the biggest impact it will have? Well, you know, our our mission is just to help as many people as we possibly can. And and this is a big reason why, why I wanted it to be in this format where it's really unrestricted. We can we can mm-hmm. serve we can serve unlimited amount of people and um, the people themselves that are in our parenting groups and in our Facebook groups, they can help each other. And it just creates this community of positivity. Um, And I mean, it sounds, you know, kind of tacky, but I mean, really change the world with this information. This is information that isn't very complicated, but Mm -hmm. once you have an understanding of it, um, you can learn it, you know, and our course is going to be maybe 90 minutes long. That's going to teach all this stuff. Um, Or if you have a couple calls with us, we're going to be able to teach it to you but it's really the follow through and it's the reminder, mm-hmm. and it's the resources and it's the practicality of it. Uh, and, and it's the accountability. I mean, that's the stuff that's going to take it to the next level and have it be ingrained into your life. And so it's our hope that that people, you know, reach out if they need challenges, that they join the group, that, you know, if they have some more significant questions, um, you can just direct message us. It's either going to be Hillary or I are on the other end. We do a, we do a free call with every single person that wants to chat with us for 15 minutes to just hear them out and see if we, if we can help or not. Um, and so that is something that we like to offer everybody. And so it's our goal to just help as many people as we possibly can and do it in a way that's that's really it takes a, a lot of the barriers out that that maybe were present in the past with getting formal services. Mm-hmm. What do you tell your kids on a regular basis about about life or about or when they're having to face challenges or how to be 
Yeah, I think, it, you know, it comes back to those expectations and we just say this isn't what this is who we are. And no matter what choices you make, if you make a bad choice, that's not who you are as a person. That's just a behavior choice. And that's a choice you're making. And sometimes we make good choices. Sometimes we make bad choices. Good choices get us good things. Bad choices get us consequences we don't necessarily want or like. And I think learning about the fact that, hey, tomorrow's a new day and I can reset and, and still have a good day or even even today's a new day. And if we can still turn today around, um, mm-hmm. I think that that resiliency and that ability to to understand that we're not perfect, nobody's perfect, but we're all going to continue to try reset. Um, I think after implementing some of these own techniques with our kids, um, which it really wasn't that long ago, you know, only maybe six months ago where we started doing these things and bringing them the things that I've been working on for so long in my professional life, bringing them into our home, because as our life got more complicated and as our kids' behavior start to creep up, that's when you need it. We noticed that our kids, if they did have a meltdown, you know, they may process it and then come back and they, they are going to apologize. And if they apologize and then say, hey, but tomorrow's a new day or I'm going to turn it around, I think I think that's what I've been the most impressed with them about. But, you know, their ability to be strong, happy, healthy and resilient from like that physical and emotional standpoint, that's that's what we try to teach them. Have a, a quick question. I'm curious to know, uh, what's your thoughts on timeout? That's a great one. And I have my, my go-to answer is timeouts are effective under a really kind of unique set of circumstances. The first circumstance is that the kid's going to be willing to go to the timeout. Okay. Because we are, um, I think if there's one thing that we are uh, absolutely against, it's it's corporal punishment. And you can jump on our, our Facebook page. Our first Facebook Live actually that we ever did was on this topic. So if you want more information on that, we dive pretty deep into the weeds there as to why we don't like it and why we think there's other options that are going to be better, both short and long term. Mm-hmm. But... Um, if you are having a kid who's not willing to go to a timeout, whether it's a chair or the corner or their room, well, now we're talking about us physically picking them up, moving them and and holding them either on a, and barricading them into their room. Now, in general, this is not a, a pleasant experience and this isn't something that, you know, I wouldn't or you probably wouldn't want anyone doing to you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's other ways. There's there's definitely other ways to, to, to teach our kids. Um, but I think that after that, there is going to definitely be situations where they can be they can be effective if if the time in itself is reinforcing. So if the time in itself, if the if the what they're doing is fun, then a timeout from that fun thing can be useful. So if the time in time is fun and if they're willing to go to a timeout, then a timeout can be useful. But if you know, say they don't want to eat dinner, and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, fine, you go take a timeout in your room. Mm-hmm. And then the kid's going to be like, okay. And then they go run and they grab their favorite toy and now they're playing in their room and they're having a ball missing dinner because they didn't want to be there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, then that is not an t- effective timeout. Mm-hmm. So you have to ask yourself those two questions. Is it is it going to be able to be done without physical intervention? And two, is it going to um, be effective in the sense that if they were to stay here, are they having a good time? Does that kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I'll definitely check that video because it's yeah. uh, something uh, <laughs> yeah. interesting. Yeah, um, and I would love follow-up questions on that one. We can go deep in the weeds. Like I, I have a lot of parents who, um, you know, that's a it's a spirited topic, and it's and it's one. Yeah, that like maybe would, for another episode because yeah, that'll that's be the really reason, interesting. That could be, be part two. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so can you repeat where we can find more about you, uh, what you guys are doing on social handles, yeah. website? Yeah, so um, yeah, our easiest way to find us is at Behavior Change Collective. That's going to be on Facebook and Instagram, and those are going to be the ways that you can you can get directly connected with us. Um, and if parents are wanting to um, reach us personally, you can just private message us at either one of those two handles, or shoot us an email at behaviorchangecollective at gmail.com. If you, if you aren't on Facebook and Instagram, I know some people aren't, you can easily just shoot us an email over there. Again, it's behaviorchangecollective at gmail.com. And then between those two um, platforms, my main thing I would love people to do is just book a free call with us so we can just talk to them in person and then kind of go from there. That's great. Yeah, it's wonderful what you're doing because I know a lot of parents can get overwhelmed when they're so, there's no courses on how to become a parent. You just One day you have a child <laughs> and then you just have to get the information and find the right places to get these resources. So this is a good one and yeah. it's and needed. I'm probably our, our course may be out right around this time. And so keep an eye out for that. We'll definitely be um, alerting you to our email list so you can join our email list um, through either one mm -hmm. of our social platforms. And then we can hopefully create that for you because <laughs> that's our goal is to create create a course that's going to at least take that part for you where you're going to be able to you know spend no more than 90 minutes and get that information clear and concise to give you answers on how to manage manage that challenging behavior and bring more joy into your house because um, that's what everybody wants and that's what we want for everybody. So, yes. <laughs> so I'll end with one question I asked everyone who comes on the podcast. Sure. So we all know that being a mother, a parent is a roller coaster of emotions and experiences and keeping motherhood inspired. What one thing have you found kept you inspired throughout your parenting uh, journey? anything that gave you strength and the energy and the joy to continue because yeah. it's a never ending uh, lifelong journey. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really, that's a great question. I think it comes down to mindfulness for me, you know, and, and mindfulness in general is, is a practice that, that is also a journey, but, but whenever I start feeling that way and I start feeling discouraged or, you know, we just have, we all have busy lives and we all leave, we all live busy lives, but coming back to just being mindful that you are the center of these little guys worlds and without you um, they would be lost. And so when you, um, when they're having a tough time, you know, it's your, it's your job to try to help that in some way. And maybe, maybe whatever that situation is, is just going for a walk with them and just being present, put, put the phone away, turn the TV off, um, maybe put on some music and have a dance party, but whatever it is, try to just connect in the moment to them and be present. I think that's the thing that I kind of lean on. Ah, yes, this is good. Thank you. Oh my gosh, so much information. I took tons of notes. I'll <laughs> listen yeah, to it sure. again. Yeah, for But, sure. Like I said, a lot of that stuff is is stuff, you know, just scratching the surface on a lot of our, our topics that we we cover in our weekly Facebook lives in our parenting group. Um, and then in our through our email list and then obviously through the course that will be coming out. So Um, if people want more, you know, please, please, please don't hesitate to reach out. We love connecting and helping. That's why we're here. Um, so please do so. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Citrus Love, Keeping Motherhood Inspired Podcast. If you think someone would enjoy to listen to this episode, please share it with them. You can share the link wherever you're listening or go to our website at www.citruslove.com slash episode and the number where you will find the episode as well as all the information about the guests or the specific episode. The best way to get our podcast ranked is by leaving me a review wherever you're listening. Two, three, four, five, six stars. Whatever you feel reflect podcast, this will not only let me know what needs to be improved as well as what you particularly love. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get the next episode. And thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye.